Blenders, and welcome, welcome to episode number 120 of Real Blend, a podcast that is now available exclusively in Fortnite, just as Christopher Nolan intended. My name is Sean O'Connell, the managing director here at Cinema Blend. Uh, still puzzled by Nolan's decision to release that Tenant trailer in Fortnite. I went uh, over to PJ, who plays Fortnite on the regular, and I was like, did you watch the Tenant thing? And he was like, I'm not watching any of that nonsense. What are you talking about? So we will get into the Tenant trailer and what they showed. Uh, this is going to be a huge uh, action-packed show. No interview, but a lot of news to get to uh, involving Avatar going back into production the campaign to release the David Ayer cut of Suicide Squad, a sequel to Labyrinth with an exciting new director, and then a few more exciting reviews at the end of the show. But first, I have to introduce the boys, uh, starting with Kevin McCarthy of Fox 5 in Washington, D.C., who I'm sure played Fortnite for 18 hours straight just to watch the Tenant trailer over and over again. I'll tell you right now, I... I have no idea how Fortnite works. I tried it. <laughs> I couldn't get it to work in the in the actual game. I ended up uh, watching it and we'll get to it in the in the show. But I watched yeah. it in my favorite personal format. So we'll get to it when we discuss it. But yeah, that Fortnite thing was uh, very confusing. I've never even played Fortnite and it took forever to download it. It was it was a huge game. It was right. free. And I had no clue where to go in the game to find the screen where Tenet was playing. Mm -hmm. um, but I liked the concept of what they were trying to do and bring people to a theater. But, you know. Uh, yeah. Well, you had to download the game backwards is what the trick was in order to get oh, to the trailer. Really? Yeah. That's how Nolan wanted you to do it. Download oh, it backwards. So I downloaded play it, it in but reverse. it hadn't happened yet. Yes, exactly. You'll be able to oh. watch it next week. Uh, okay. The other voice is Jake Hamilton of Fox 32 in Chicago, who, if you guys haven't seen it yet, Jake has a, a compilation on his YouTube channel. Jake's takes uh, of all of his quarantine interviews. And it is a murderer's row of talent that Jake has tracked down, some through junkets, uh, but others through his own efforts, including uh, John Boyega and all of his Star Wars gear, dude, which is still just incredible. Thanks so much, dude. Good to see you guys. Hi, Jakey. I Good feel, to see I you feel guys like too. so old talking about video games and hearing about video games because the last video game I played was the remake of Resident Evil 3. And the video game I played before that was the original Resident Evil 3. So Why I just play, Resident I just, Evil? Just because they're yeah. fun, mindless, running around like shoot zombies kind of video games but like that's how infrequently i play video games is that right. i play one and then play the play the remake like 20 years later that's that's how infrequently <laughs> i play video games gotcha gotcha you just didn't grow up with them is that what it, is that what it is i didn't really i you know i feel like something's got to give somewhere and and as much as we were consuming movies like i i you know it's so it's the weirdest thing i can sit and binge watch a tv show for 10 hours and kind of justify it as work but if i play a video game for 45 minutes i feel like i'm wasting time I, I don't know why oh. I know that I know that's not right or fair to to view it that way. But that's I've always had a hard time sitting still and playing video games. Right. Interesting. Yeah, I like them a lot. And the boys play them a ton. And I, I like to play sports games against them, but they're just too good. Like they play them all the time. So that when I sit yeah. down to play, I just get my rear end handed to me. And that's no fun <laughs> at all. So anyway, um, a reminder, we have a community page over on Facebook. Uh, they are always having fun conversations about the Blender family and the topics that are new to them. So engage with them. If you guys want to continue the show in between episodes, go to Facebook and search for Real Blend Podcast Community. We also, as you can probably see, if you're watching us on YouTube, we're posting Cinema Blend episodes to the, we're posting, excuse me, Real Blend episodes to the Cinema Blend YouTube page. So if you'd rather stream the show over that way. Uh, so there was a question about uh, when we have 
talent on for an interview and how come we don't show them? Uh, I think it was a comment underneath the Damien Chazelle interview. And the, the answer is just for technical reasons. It's quite often hard enough for us to get the talent to be able to give us as clean of an audio copy as possible. Um, if we went the extra mile and asked them to record their video for us as well, too, uh, it's hard for the three of us to get it right. Um, and it takes a lot as of back you and saw forth. last week. <laughs> yeah, right. When I forgot to hit record. So well, um, I don't know, like maybe someday we get to a point where we have a studio, you know, that we're able to do the podcast in and a guest could come by and get it done. But right now it's 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 difficult to do that. I'm glad you brought that up because I actually wanted to tell people the how like just briefly how the behind the scenes stuff works. It's really kind of cool. Like when we connect with someone like Damien Chazelle, for example, um, prior to the connection, we're dealing with his publicists weeks in advance trying to set up how we're going to see him, how we're going to hear him and how he's going to record his audio. And Gabe has this this uh, idea down that once we connect with the with the talent over Skype, that will then talk to the talent themselves and have them record their audio on their cell phones. And thanks to Damien Chazelle for being so awesome, because not only did he connect to us via Skype so we could see him. And because for people who don't know, when we do our show, you know, I'm in D.C., Sean's in North Carolina, Jake's in Chicago, Gabe's in St. Louis. We're recording over Skype. We use Skype only so we can see each other. That way the conversations flow better. But then at the same time, if we have an actor or a director come on, it's three hosts and a producer to be able to see that person is a game changer because no one's talking over each other. It makes the conversation flow better. So for Damien Chazelle specifically, you know, Gabe will go into like a breakout room, essentially, and connect with him. And then Damien literally takes his cell phone, records his audio, texts that audio to his publicist, and then we get that audio afterwards. And I don't, you know, I know this is might be minutia, but to think about an Oscar winning director pressing record on his own audio in his house and still getting that audio to the publicist, I know it sounds ridiculous, but it's, it's still an extra step or two he has to take. And, you know, thank you to those, to those filmmakers who are doing that. And that's what makes our show sound as good as it does. I mean, Damien could easily have been coming through our Skype audio. It could have sounded like a cell phone. Um, so it it's not as simple as just connecting. It's very cool. Um, but to answer Sean's thing about the video, that's why it would be way too impossible to orchestrate all that. And right when we were getting into the habit of, of figuring out how to do it pretty seamlessly at Junkets, um, the world shut down. And now we're mm. having people figure out how to do it from home. And that's another yeah. step we had to add. If you guys knew how many times we had to stop and start over with the great Barry Levinson, uh, who I, uh, Barry, uh, Sonnenfeld, Sonnenfeld. Barry Sonnenfeld, who I adore. And he was amazing. And every time he got back on, he was tech savvy enough to be like, all right, here's yeah. where we are and start back up again. But that <laughs> interview was a lot of false starts and uh, and, and restarts. So how I'm many times did we start with Sonnenfeld? Three or four? It was I, must have been like four times. Yeah, somewhere around there. And was, Sonnenfeld never once, never once had an inkling of negativity about it and just kept doing it. Now, I get I get he's selling a book, um, but people get to a point where they just go, I'm done with this you know what i mean right. like, like you're not going to see harrison ford doing zooms and trying four times to get a connection you know what i mean like i kind of wanted to though i mean it'd be hilarious i mean yeah. i think that's actually a really funny idea for an snl sketch yeah, like yeah. having harrison oh, ford do zoom idea. interviews oh my god like i you know what that you know what that could be like that could be like uh, my favorite thing on snl was one of my favorite things was when andy samberg played Mark Wahlberg talking to animals. And I just feel like Mark Wahlberg th- talks to animals. <laughs> Did you see a perfect? He asked the yeah. goat if he yeah. saw a perfect storm. 
Um, and <laughs> that's a nice beard. I had a beard like that in Perfect Storm. But so it's funny. So how do you mother for me? How funny would a sketch be of like Harrison Ford or Tommy Lee Jones? Jones? Yeah, those two doing Zoom interviews with journalists and having yeah, yeah. like connection issues. And you imagine Tommy Lee Jones putting in AirPods. The and best like part to- would be like Tommy Lee Jones's face would be frozen, and I'd ask a question, and I'd be like, "Oh, I think his connection's frozen." And he'd just go, "No, I'm still here." <laughs> yeah, his his There'd face, just be no expression yeah. whatsoever. <laughs> yeah. All right. Um, to get you guys excited, uh, we recently did a commentary track for David Fincher's masterpiece, The Social Network. Uh, we had a really good time. You guys had a good time with it as well, too. Uh, the download numbers were very impressive, and we decided we were going to do another one. So we went through uh, our choices and put them back up to vote, and uh, Jace got shot down <laughs> horribly. Uh, he I'm, still I'm keeping, wants I'm going to do... keep pushing. Well, sooner or later, you're going to have to wave the white flag, my friend, and, and go in a different direction. Nope. Uh, Road to Perdition. Uh, Jake put Road to Perdition. It got uh, 9.1%. Not quite as bad as Snowpiercer. Uh, 8.5%. That was Gabe's. Gabe, that's okay. Noble, A noble uh, effort out there. Funny post underneath uh, the thing. It said, why does it feel like Kevin got two choices in this poll? Well, I did <laughs> go with a Kevin-esque choice uh, in Inception which ended up edging out Inglorious Bastards. Zoe, are you 2-0? 2-0, oh? oh, baby. 2-0. Oh. Social Network was my choice, and our next film is going to be Inception, which, to Jake's credit, Jake, you said, I'm okay with that. Like, no, like there, there yeah. wasn't a movie in that selection that, um, right. that I, I, I would not want to watch. Um, it would just be nice if like the rest of us got to watch a movie that we wanted to watch sometime. But cool, well, you know, next, whatever. Next time I'll choose The Other Missy, which is the new David Spade movie. And we'll <laughs> see if anybody I, Watch it win. <laughs> I started that the other day. I did not finish it. Um, but the uh, <laughs> the movie, uh, I'm excited about Inception because uh, I, I'm doing a, I just watched Following actually for the first time the other day, which um, is Chris Nolan's first feature film. It's a 70-minute film he shot on 16-millimeter, 4x3. It is an astounding achievement for a first time feature filmmaker. And if you haven't seen it, I highly recommend it. But the reason why I bring it up is because inception, you can literally see Nolan and the work he's doing. Bless bless you. you. Sorry. I'm I'm allergic to good podcasts. Yeah. Uh, You can literally see the beginning of Nolan um, in this, in this film. Uh, And you can see elements of inception, Dunkirk, Memento, uh, tenant. Isn't there like a, a Batman sticker somewhere in, in following? So the lead star, Jeremy Theobald, um, who was a friend of Nolan's in, in, in school, he's the star of following and his apartment has a Batman sticker on the on the on the front of it. That's cool. Uh, and so that, that, that's the only Batman reference that's in that film. I think Memento might have one, right? Yeah. Jake, I yeah, because yeah, I asked him about it. Um, Does it really? Actually, yeah, I asked in uh, when I got him for Dark Knight Rises, I asked him for about because there's something with with Memento has a. Has a Batman yeah. thing and then following. So sort of this idea of like, was was this dude fated to to, to uh, change Batman forever? Um, What's interesting about following, though, is that the lead star of following Jeremy Theobald is actually in Batman Begins, um, which is interesting. That uh, Who is he in Batman the, Begins? I don't remember. I want to say he's a younger, a younger someone at the Bruce Wayne Manor. I'll, I'll have to look it up again, but you can huh. find his credit on IMDb. But for people out there who haven't seen following it's on criterion uh, i have it right here actually um and highly recommend it nolan well, cool was cover. and nolan was the dp on the movie 
So Nolan DP'd, shot, and edited the whole film. It's all mostly natural light using windows. Uh, and you can see, it's literally, you can see Memento, Inception, Dunkirk, Tenet, all in this movie. It's all in there. Like he, hey, he, He's been messing with inversion and backstory and rewinding in time. Dude, watch a short he did called Doodlebug. Same actor from Following. It's incredible. Kevin, I got a question for you. Yeah. Where are you at on Lost, man? Oh, I know. Uh, episode 18 of season one. Dude, haven't you been on that one for like like four weeks now? Yeah, I'm get, also get still moving, on. Dude, I, I flew through 50 episodes of, of Better Call Saul. I'm on page 75 of Catcher in the Rye, and that's been since 2005. So I need to finish that, too. <laughs> <laughs> your English paper is still your English teacher still writing on your paper. Dude, I, I to this day, I have not passed 75 on that. Book. I, I was actually getting really nervous for you this weekend because this weekend was the 10th anniversary of the finale. And so a lot of people I saw were posting images and clips uh, of the, I purposely did not because I didn't want you to see anything. But I was getting really nervous that you would see um, some images from the finale that I really didn't want you to see. So for I, I love of God, man, get get going. I know I've been on, I've been in a weird headspace i've been watching a lot of random stuff i watched following i watched um or vertigo again for the first time oh, since college I, I saw uh, i saw uh your wife lauren uh posted a clip and, and it was a great it was a perfect clip it was that great clip uh uh oh it was, yeah uh, it was amazing anyway let right. me tell, let, let me let me say this this is actually something i want to say and we'll move on um as i get older i'm 36 now uh, i hadn't seen vertigo since college watch movies again years later it is such a a, an incredible experience as a as a human being as you get older to experience something like vertigo with your knowledge as you get older um and vertigo weirdly enough i watched vertigo the same day i watched following and they're so intertwined in regards to storytelling and structure but anybody out there listening to our show if you haven't seen vertigo in a long time and you're really into shots and color and structure and linear and linear elements it's just I think it might be the greatest movie ever made. I, I And it's not like I think Vertigo is my favorite movie ever made, but it is, I think, arguably could be considered the greatest movie to ever be made by any it's filmmaker. It's also such a different movie for him. Like mm -hmm. he, yeah. he would do straight thrillers, you know, where he was really happy to pull the string of the audience. And it's such an ambitious story for him to tackle with it's with unreal. filmmaking techniques that while I I always think Hitchcock was was clever and fancy with the things he did with his camera he's on another level in Vertigo and it's really fantastic dude, dude there's a shot in Vertigo I'm sorry if I'm getting a little too nerdy Gabe um but there's a shot you've in Vertigo. heard this show right I know <laughs> but do you remember the shot in Vertigo when Jimmy Stewart is uh, uh embraces Judy well I guess Madeline her is her real character she's Judy yeah. at the end and the camera spins around yeah. And then it becomes the it becomes like the horse and carriage element yeah. and then back yeah, yeah, to the room. God, you're making me want to watch this movie now. Yeah. That shot. I was talking to a buddy of mine the other day. I want to give him credit. Josh, uh, who I went to college with. We were, we were discussing it. That was all like rear screen projection. Like yeah. the, the, that was. And I know there's a bunch of documentaries and, 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 and things about the filmmaking of this movie. I've also uh, heard there's a great documentary about the 4K restoration or the Blu-ray restoration of that film that. The version I saw, they had to restore it from a very crappy print that they had with terrible sound on it. But do yourself a favor. If you it's so funny, it actually reminded me how much Nolan pulls from Hitchcock. Yeah. It, and Kubrick. Um, and you watch these movies and, and you start to think to yourself, like when you watch Nolan's movies at a certain age, 
and he's one of the greatest filmmakers ever. You start to understand like, oh, he's brilliant. But you got to go back really and rewatch things like Vertigo and Psycho in 2001 after seeing Nolan's work. And then you'll see how he was born, how Nolan became who he is because of watching that material. And that makes his work so much more in depth to me. Um, if you have a chance, check it out. Well, I think it's pretty fascinating Paul, that. Oh, go ahead, Jake. I was just going to say a quick poll. What is the, the most famous Vertigo shot? Is it the actual shot from Vertigo or is it, or is it the shot of Roy Scheider and Jaws? I would argue that the shot from Jaws is more iconic in the mm-hmm. sense of visual cue. I think that the over the staircase vertigo shot. I mean, the fact that we call it the vertigo shot is right. says a lot. And what's weird enough about it is that it wasn't invented for that film. Um, I remember doing some history about the vertigo shot, which is also called a dolly zoom, which I think, by the way, uh, Peter Spike Jackson Lee doesn't. Peter Jackson uses them really well in the Lord of the Rings, but Spike Lee's really? is a is a is a is a reverse dolly. I want to say it's a it's a okay. movement. And the camera's actually on a track, I believe. Okay. And it's, you know, it's creating that like move, like the person's almost floating. I can't remember the name of that shot. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. Okay. I know what you're talking about. Um, the background's moving the, uh, and they look like they're still almost. Yeah, but but like but like Denzel at Inside Man when he's floating across the the, the street. Or yeah. um, you know, those are very there I can't remember the name of the shot. I always call it a Spike Lee shot. But the Vertigo shot is a different shot. But um but it's I'm telling you right now, the shot itself, it's just a push pull, either zoom or pull out. Uh, but it's a good question, Jake. I mean, I would argue that most people would recognize the Jaws shot than the Vertigo shot. But the Vertigo shot, it, it's hard. It's hard I mean, because I know it, where it comes like, from. Like, like even in Jaws, we refer to it as like, oh, cool. That's like that's that's the Vertigo shot in Jaws. Sure, sure, so sure. I kind of feel it's, like Hitchcock gets the edge there. Well, Hitchcock, and I'll argue this all day long. I don't care if anyone wants to yell at me. I think Hitchcock was much more influential than someone like an Orson Welles. I, and I think Orson Welles, while he did break ground as a, as a filmmaker from a technical standpoint, I don't, I didn't find his stories to be as intriguing as something like uh, Hitchcock. Like when I watch vertigo, that vertigo is timeless. It is absolutely timeless. That movie is, it, it, it works right now. I don't think citizen Kane works now thematically um, personally, but you know, anyways, it's kind of amazing that in that sight and sound poll that was like the be all and end all for years yeah. upon years, Citizen Kane was number one forever. And when they finally got together, we're like, we finally have to pick something different. They pick Vertigo. <laughs> which I well, think is Vertigo is Vertigo. I are I, and let, let, I think it's one of the best movies ever made. I yeah. really do. All right. Well, so let's transition from the fact that we are going to do Inception as our next um commentary track and we're going to try to fit it in uh within the next week or so because we want to get jokes on you guys because i'm just going to talk about road to Perdition the entire time sooner jake no one will ever vote for that movie um, well, no, should I'm just gonna, as we're talking about inception i'm like oh look they're driving down a road <laughs> yeah, i wonder if trivia. they're going to perdition perdition piece of trivia for you sean yes in inception once we do our commentary do yes. you know what movie nolan is paying homage to with the joseph gordon levitt hallway fight I feel like this would be a good commentary trivia moment. Dude, where's my car? You want me to hold on to it until we get to the to the commentary? Yes, please do. Please hold right, on, hold to, on it. to it. Yes. Right. I feel I feel like I have to rewatch Inception before we do it. I'm gonna have to. That's cheating. Re- no, no, no. Because I just I haven't seen it in forever, and you, I think you guys are way more versed in Nolan than I am. That I don't I don't know how much I'm gonna be able to contribute. I'm gonna be like, I, oh, I, there's Alan Page. I don't think you should rewatch it. I'll tell you why. Because if you rewatch it with us, yeah. and 
you can experience it like that. Like what Sean's trying to tell us is he's never seen Inception. (laughs) No, I've seen it. And it's one of the Nolan ones that I like the most. It's really good. But um, I just don't I don't remember it. I I felt like it was doing homework during it. I guess yeah. to try to keep he track of everything work. that's going on. Oh, yeah, yeah. absolutely. Makes you work. Um, let's get to the tenant trailer. Uh, the, the, I, w- I am more excited by that trailer uh, than I have become for any Nolan film. And listen, I've gone on record. You can go back through these old episodes uh, that I am quoted as saying that I do sometimes believe that Nolan is too um, clever for his own good, that sometimes he's ahead of the audience and it's really hard to keep up with him. But in moments when he's been able to implement his clever storytelling devices into um, more action driven films like the Batman trilogy, uh, like Inception, very much so, uh, he is such an exciting physical director. Uh, And the way that he uses inversion is the new technique that we're going to be talking about, I'm sure, for a while. Uh, It's a little bit easier to wrap your brain around because you can see it. You know, it's it's it's. With Interstellar, he left me in the dust with quantum physics and all the stuff that he was that he was diving into and the the magical bookcase that, you know, communicates to Murph through the years and all this stuff. And I just didn't I didn't care. I didn't care. But the stuff that I'm seeing in the trailer for Tenant, uh, it was the it was the perfect trailer in the fact that it basically set up who everybody is in it, showed up uh, the chemistry between John David Washington and Robert Pattinson. They look terrific together. Um showed off enough of the inversion to make me think like, oh, it looks amazingly cool, but also what is it? Uh, and still gave away nothing about the story. Like, I have no clue what is going on with the story, and I'm going to go opening day whenever opening day is uh, and still be really intrigued to find out what is going on with it. Uh, let me go to Jake, because I know Kevin will have a lot to say. Uh, Jake, you did it. Did it move your needle one way or the other any more than it already was? Uh, not not any more than it already was. And, 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 and I mean, this in a compliment. It, 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 it seems like a really fun collection of like Nolan greatest hits. Yeah. Like there are a lot of like aspects of Nolan in there that I love that kind of seem to be put together. But what's so fascinating is as much as we don't know about what the actual plot is or like what the character motivations are, the actual concept itself it's so brilliantly simple that I'm amazed. One, I'm, I'm both amazed and glad that no one has tried to tackle it before because mm-hmm. Nolan has now grabbed. And, and, and what I mean by the concept is something is just as dangerous going backward as it is going forward. Like if a bullet goes backward into the gun and, and maybe I'm misunderstanding the plot, like that's just as dangerous as the bullet going forward. And so sure. utilizing time and utilizing these things that are maybe moving backward that you still have to avoid, that's such a simple premise that I feel like hasn't been grasped in the way that Nolan's grasping it. And I'm glad that he's the one that's really tackling because I know that he's not going to let it just stop there. He's going to take that and then march down the gridiron with it. He's not, he's not going to stop at the 40. He's going to score a touchdown with it. Mm-hmm. A simple play that is going to turn into this this beautiful touchdown. Um, I'm really excited to see what he does with it. Um, I, yeah, I, I I don't mind that, that. I've talked to a couple of people that use that experience. Like, oh, it's it's a greatest hits of Nolan. Well, I'm like, yeah, but like, I'm okay with that because in a lot of like some of my favorite Spielberg films, like he uses like Spielbergisms, and I, I'm totally like I'm that's that's why I love him. Um, I, you know, there are few directors that I get as excited about when they have a new movie coming out, if only just because like I don't know what to expect. And in and, and this day and age where we pick apart everything, 
I, I, I had no idea what's going to happen. I also love that there's a line, if I remember correctly, don't, don't they say like, oh, you mean time travel? And the, and someone is like, no, no, it's not. Not it's exactly. Not time tra- and it like deflates the argument that people are having going. It's like, oh, so Nolan's doing time travel. And then Nolan's trailer is like, no, no, it's not time travel. <laughs> like, yeah. Don't worry about it. <laughs> yeah. We'll explain it to you when the time is right. So, Kev, uh, I'm sure you watched it a few times. Yeah. Uh, what do you think of it? Well, it's funny because I feel like it's expected that I'm going to geek out over um, that trailer. Uh, but uh, it is it's one of the greatest trailers I've ever seen. Uh, I've I I, I I don't understand how someone is working at his level. Right. Uh, I really I, I actually find myself contemplating that a lot. I'm like, how is a human being able to come up with what they're doing? Um, if you look at his filmography, uh, you know, I understand the greatest hits element of it, but I th- I just feel like he's. I, I didn't mean that as a slight when I said that. Oh no no I get that but, but but you're not wrong. I mean he's been dealing with this inversion element since Memento. Uh, there's a the opening shot of Memento is basically inversion as the bullet comes out of Paneliano's head into the gun. I mean and uh, I, I I can't remember the gentleman's name. I think it was Will who tweeted that a video out of Memento saying here's inversion 20 years ago and he's 100 <laughs> percent right. We watched the opening of Memento. He's already been playing with this. My theory on Tenet is Tenet is the movie that Nolan has been wanting to make his entire life. Um, and he finally has the budget. He finally has the filmmaking background to do it. And I think that Tenet is going to be a masterclass in one of the greatest filmmakers to ever walk this earth. I, and and I, I'm finding the detail oriented elements of this trailer I've seen it, I think, close to 20 times now, and I have gone through it frame by frame by frame. And there are so many things that I'm picking up on that I that I cannot wait to see how they play out. Um, There's a shot earlier on in the first trailer when John David Washington and Robert Pattinson walk into that that window room and he says, you know, what's happened here? He goes, it hasn't happened yet. And then you see that police officer or that cop backwards his way out and then you learn later on that john david washington is going to be in forward motion fighting this guy who's in backward motion so john david washington had to learn how to fight backwards essentially right so you're thinking about a guy who's punching backwards while acting okay so hold on stop so stop right there let me ask you something did nolan film the 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 police officer moving forward and then is he reversing his film Dude, is the actor figuring out choreography wise how to move backwards? That exact question is why I have not slept in a week. (laughs) I'm not I'm not kidding. Wait, wait, are you saying that you have insomnia? Insomnia. Yeah, that's funny. Seriously? Like, that's that's a good one. That's really good. I get a freaking chuckle. I'm giving you credit. We're laughing. It's good. What do you want? That's actually really good. Kind of. I want um, the parade that the, the, the shit puns on this show normally get. So to, to answer See, Sean's question, your puns are good. We we do horrible puns. Yeah, the worse <laughs> they are, the better the reaction. Yes. Yeah, if, if they're really good, we're seeing like ah, oh, that's because we didn't come up with it ourselves. That's why we're like you know, right? No, right, but right. in all honesty, to answer your question, I don't know. And so uh, the shot that I've been trying to dissect, and I've watched it so many times, is the in the new trailer is the is the car reversing the flip reversal as the cars are going in other directions. If you watch that shot closely and Gabe and I have gotten into breakdowns on this on the text thread, 
that car that's flipping backwards looks like it's there. I mean, I first of all, I guarantee you no one flipped the car. There's no question that car wasn't flipped. Um, sure. The question then becomes, OK, maybe that car is in a different shot that's been stitched together with another shot of cars going forward. So to answer your question, I think John David Washington is literally fighting the guy in reverse. I think okay. he's actually fighting in full reverse. And then hmm. I think what's happening with the shot you're referring to when he like comes out of that that barreling out of that window that's probably a reversal remember all no wouldn't that be an editing nightmare to do them separately like if they if at any point if you did them separately and at any point the two actors take up the same space then the shot's ruined well no i think the fight is is happening in camera reverse right but 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 not not so much that like the cop is filmed and then John David Washington is filmed, and then no, you, you lay the two. they're both there. Right. But I know, that's what I'm saying. Like, I feel like you can't do that, because at, at, at any slight, if both of them are existing in the same place by a centimeter, then it ruins the shot. No, the, the, the choreography of the fight is done like that. So, for example, and this is, again, this is just my guess. I watched a, a, a brief interview with John David Washington when I was able to finally get into that Fortnite thing uh, after the trailer launched. I, uh, John David Washington was talking about the fighting and how it was completely unnatural and, and, and different than anything he's ever done before. I think what's happening in this film is Nolan has gotten to a point where he is able to design shots fully in camera, whether that means getting a couple different shots and putting them together for one shot. I think that flipping of the car, as Gabe and I were discussing, is a separate shot that was done on a highway, probably blank. And then they take the real driving cars, pop them in, and then make it a completely beautiful one shot. The fighting, though, is just insane. I think this film is going to be his masterpiece uh, from and I think he's already made a bunch of masterpieces, in, in my opinion. But I guess by the definition of a masterpiece, it's the person's best work. I guess if you want to put it into, into a Webster definition, I think Tenet is going to be beyond comprehension so right now nolan's best film for you kevin is interstellar interstellar jake his best film is dark knight and mine is the prestige so we'll see we'll see where this wait i I have a question that that the the clip i I didn't see this tweet the dude that pulled the clip of memento and said that nolan was that meant to be a slight no, like Nolan, no, 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 no. I think I think he was just explaining that Nolan's been dealing yeah. with inversion yeah. and, and. Well, I mean, keep in mind, before Spielberg made Jaws, like he made Duel, which was like kind of a warm up movie for Jaws. Right. It's about people being, you know, it's it's basically like Jaws, but with an eighteen wheeler. Like, right. so I feel like sometimes directors not like are are you know repeating themselves, but sometimes like sometimes well, they're warming up an idea without realizing that they're even having it. But and also following following in uh, is basically memento. If you watch it, it's like that, it's kind of cool. I find that interesting that the conversation you can have this conversation with directors in general in that their earliest works are sometimes their most passionate because they're finally getting a chance to tell the story that they want to tell. But by definition, they should be better later. Right. Because they're figuring oh, yeah. out how to make movies more. But then you find directors who, as they get further and further into their careers, not everybody, obviously, but they run out of interesting stories that they want to tell, you know, and then they just start taking jobs um, or, you know, other people's scripts and their passion isn't necessarily there. It's weird. Cast yeah. 22. I understand what you're saying. It's an example. It's an example. I'll say this, though. Anybody who watches that trailer. So what I did was I went to an official like Warner Brothers website and I downloaded the full HD version of it. And I just threw it on my computer. And that's how I've been watching it. And. There's a couple things I want people to look out for as you watch it again. Uh, and I know these are things that are obvious, maybe if you watched it multiple times, but 
just look for more of the inversion stuff because Nolan Nolan's very tricky as a filmmaker. He he puts things in the foreground and the background and the middle ground of the of the shot, and he wants you to look around. He he you're, you are working as you watch a Nolan film, which is you know which is why I love his work so much. But pay attention to like Kenneth Branagh. There's a sequence where he's walking across a road with a mask on. Look in the left corner of the screen. You'll see a window reversing uh, as as it's forming after a bullet was shot. Um, also, in that fight scene we're referring to, a John David Washington, you can see the bullets reversing themselves off the window. Yeah, uh, I saw and, that. And, and mm, into that. the gun. So keep in mind, they're fighting practically oh, there and that, on set. That TV spot you found that has an extended, and I'm trying not to because I actually do, and it's not. Once again, it's not a slight to, to the way you watch trailers. I actually do the opposite. I don't like to watch it so many times that I, because then I find myself. It, it's my own problem. Whenever I actually end up watching the movie. Then I sort of clock it as like, oh, we haven't seen that scene yet. Like, oh, like, yeah. like I, I know I know that scene is coming because I've seen it so many times in the trailer. Like I if I start if I become too familiar with the trailer, then it is in my head too much as I'm watching the movie. So I usually give myself once, maybe twice. And then I got to wash my hands of it in a weird way. I always found Nolan's trailers and TV spots to be extensions of his films. Um, I did the same thing with Inception. I watched that trailer 30 times before I saw the movie. I said the same thing with Dunkirk. Um, I've always found that he. I don't know that he does this and this could just be me being a fan, but I always found that his trailers are are for his fans in the sense of he puts them out knowing he's not going to give you much away just to get you excited for his work. And I think that he looks at those as extensions. The last thing I'll mention, Jake, you talk about the airplane. There's a scene and I'm glad you brought that up because I just read an interview with Nolan about this. There's a shot at the end of the trailer of uh, of Tenet, which is very similar to the end of the Inception trailer, by the way, if you guys noticed at the end of Inception, they, they do the they do the Inception logo and then they cut to the tag, which is Tom Hardy going, you need to dream a little bigger, darling. Right. That was like a, the joke bit at the end of Inception's trailer. This one has a very similar idea. Tenet this time. You hit the title card. Then you have Pattinson and John David Washington walking in a joking fashion, talking about a plane going into a hangar. By the way, I, I don't know if any I doubt this was an homage, but that plane going into the hangar looked exactly like the plane going into the hangar and face off. And I really want to know. It reminded me of airplane. That's funny. I, I kind of want to know if if that's the case, because Nolan, I, I found out the other day that Nolan's a MacGruber fan. Nolan likes like so many different types of movies. But that plane, by the way, I don't know if you guys read this yet. Are you guys ready for this? He bought an actual, actual 747 and crashed it and blew it up. Well, I, I read that he said that he he did the numbers and it's it would cheaper. be it would be cheaper to run an actual 747 into a building <laughs> than it would be to build miniatures yeah. and and replicate it that way. He said it's actually really? cheaper to just yes. do it. It was cheaper than doing the CG. Like basically what they would sometimes do in a shot like that is you would build an outer shell of a plane from whatever side you're shooting it from and then have the crash take place. If you look, if you watch face off, you can actually see fireworks going off versus explosions, yeah, yeah, which is really yeah. funny. Um, but uh, in regards to that, he decided, I mean, this is the same guy who flipped an 18 wheeler in, in dark night, practically. I mean, with, 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 like with five a blocks away. Yeah. I mean, you're talking about somebody who is, who is complete. You know what's funny about that story? Uh, Jake is that he was going to do it with miniatures and CG and like you said it was cheaper to blow the plane up so what Jake's referring to there's a TV spot out there um, that you have to watch if you haven't seen it that's 15 seconds that takes you inside that plane scene which appears to be some kind of heist remember they're going into the future right they're going into the future and the future's rewinding and they're trying to stop whatever events lead to some chaotic post-apocalyptic moment in I mean it's unbelievably mind-blowing if you actually think about it 
from uh, it's hard to wrap your mind around. But watch that plane scene this is the last thing I'll say. As the plane is there, you'll see the firefighters walking past our leading characters. The firefighters are walking backwards. The water is shooting back into their fire gun as the characters are going forward. Debris is flying up in front of their face from the ground to the plane and reforming on the plane so the plane's no longer exploded. And this is all happening as the characters are moving in forward motion as everything else is flying backwards. And you as an audience member... I, I think it gets to a point in a moment like that where it's so mind blowing and hard to comprehend. You just have to feel it and not understand it. Right. And that's the whole point of the movie. Right. Tenet is about feeling it, not understanding it. And I think that's exactly what Nolan wants you to do. He wants you to feel this and not have to like think about the, the technicality of it. Just feel it. OK. On May 26th, uh, does the movie open on July 17th? Jake. Yes. No. Jake. <laughs> Kevin. Yes. Sorry. Jake. No. I think it yes. is going to open on July 17th. Okay, let's move on. I think so, too. To our I, next I hear story. I will say I'm leaning more toward you guys after seeing... No, too um, late. I get to speak! <laughs> no, just, just like based on kind of what the country looked like this past weekend, which it looked like sort of this like scraping for things to open back up. Um, I'm... I, I, I'm still saying no, but I'm You're talking a month and a half now. A yeah, month exactly. and a half. Exactly. Between. Also, think about it this way. And this is the last thing I'll say about it. Let's think about a 25 screen AMC theater, AMC Empire in New York City. Right. So if Tenant rolls out July 17th, 25 theaters play Tenant. You do 35 to 40 percent capacity in every theater. You put three or four seats in between each person. That sounds completely doable. To do me. you give them every screen? Yeah, yeah I, think, I think that's how it would work. Yeah. I mean, I feel like I feel like um, at that point, it's, were, it's just the tenant theaters. I mean, yeah. OK, that could be. Yeah, that could be. All right. Today is the day uh, that I learned that no one on the Real Blend podcast has seen Labyrinth. Uh, apparently, it's a pretty famous movie and um, we should have seen it growing up, but um, none of us found the time to check it out. We know it has something to do with Jim Henson. And uh, you know what? I get Labyrinth confused with Willow. Like yeah. that, those are the kinds of movies that just fall into that demographic of things that never really caught my eye when I was growing up. But there's a sequel and Scott Derrickson, who is no longer directing Doctor Strange in the multiverse of madness, is now going over to direct Labyrinth Part Two. So, um, I mean, I say to him, Godspeed. <laughs> but uh, since now, didn't really it just get a Netflix versed? series as well? Isn't there like a new Netflix series that's like Labyrinth the series? <sighs> Oh, Gabe is saying yes. Yeah. So and, and, yes. And like, I, and I, I was intrigued by it, but once again, I was like, well, I'm not going to watch it because I've never seen oh. the originals. By the way, speaking of Scott Derrickson, which is a very Doctor Strange transition you just made there, because it like think about what you just did. What's the third act of Doctor Strange? What happens in the third act of Doctor Strange? Inversion. It's inversion. Literally inversion. Like, yes. like, like he's fighting in reverse. Which is really funny that yeah, those two stories were together. I've, I find those coincidences to be that hilarious. Um, but if you haven't seen Doctor Strange, uh, watch the third act fight with him, with uh, Doctor Strange. And before he goes to visit, was it Gormammu? Um, uh, and that whole fight scene is unbelievable. But that's it actually cool. uh, interesting. I think Scott Derrickson actually tweeted out the intended trailer and said, oh, what a cool concept fight. Do you think he was was that a little slight towards Nolan? Probably. Did you see that tweet? You think so? Yeah. Oh, I think it's a little dig. A little dig. Listen, uh, listen. Never a good idea to pick on Nolan on social media. Yeah, I wouldn't if, do that. If, if, if you're going to come at the king, 
You best not miss. Uh, Gabe wants me to uh, tell everybody that that Netflix series was actually Dark Crystal, which is yet another type of <laughs> Labyrinth Willow show uh, that fall into that same mix. So the Netflix one was a. Uh, was not Labyrinth, and now it's everyone's responsibility to go see Labyrinth or head to social media and yell at us for the fact that we have not watched it yet. Um, the David Ayer cut. All right, let's get into this for a little bit. So last week's episode, we discussed the Snyder cut, of which uh, has been very top of mind for me in particular. I'm writing a book uh, titled Release the Snyder Cut. It gets into the uh, fight from DC fans and Snyder fans in particular to get Zack Snyder's version of Justice League released to HBO Max. In the wake of this, um, HBO is now getting inundated with uh, requests from DC fans and particular uh, David Ayer fans who want to see his version of Suicide Squad. Now, Suicide Squad was also... Uh, interfered with by Warner Brothers, and some of it had to do with changes that they made to Justice League uh, that directly affected the story that he wanted to tell. Some of it was in relation to the amazing trailer that everybody points at and says that was an incredible trailer. They turned his footage over to the company that cut that trailer and said, cut a better version of the feature film, which is just ridiculous. Um, And so now release the air cut uh, is is starting to trend. And David Ayer himself is promoting it by weighing in often by saying there's a lot more of the Joker, uh, the Jared Leto Joker stuff. And he had a longer relationship with Harley. There are other big characters that that should have been more prominently featured. The ending had to do with Steppenwolf and the Parademons, which became prevalent in Justice League and not Enchantress. And so I'll turn it over to you guys and ask with the uh, advent of HBO Max, should HBO Max become this platform for uh, lost director's cuts that uh, won't be able to play in theaters, but could very easily go to a cable streaming service and make uh, directors and fans happy? Or is this a dangerous precedent, Pandora's box that we are opening up uh, and rewarding toxic fandoms who uh, who complain online that they didn't even get to see their cut? Uh, I think it's a case by case basis. I think in a case like the Snyder cut or or what happened with Suicide Squad, I think those directors deserve to have their their visions seen because they filmed one movie and another movie came out Um, in in the same way that like I'm grateful for uh, the director's cut of Blade Runner, like Ridley Scott's version, because the studio screwed with it and changed the film that we wanted to make. Like you, you send out a very um, interesting tweet last week, which is basically I can't remember the exact wording, but basically the idea was like, Look, if another version of a movie you don't care about comes out, what do you care? Like, it's not it's not going to harm you. Don't watch it like whatever, like turn a blind eye to it. But there are people that care about it. Granted, do I personally think that every single movie that you don't like deserves like an an, an X, you know, give me the X cut? No, I don't. I don't. Sometimes people just make bad movies. It happens. But I do think that there are some very specific cases like with like the Snyder cut deserves to exist i think david ayer's suicide squad deserves to exist um and and to be honest like it kind of feels like jj abrams basically made the rise of skywalker that he wanted to make so i don't really like want to see this new uprising of like give me the abrams cut of episode nine because like like i think we got it you know like i think in some cases it's just like you just don't like the movie that that, that the director made um and i think i think that i think they're apples and oranges 
and you have to judge each one independently. Um, I think it's totally fine. And, and the reason I'm, I'm phrasing it this way, and we talked about this briefly before we started recording, is I kind of felt like I was getting ripped apart in the comments section of the YouTube video last week. Because I, I think it, my comments about maybe playing devil's advocate or my hesitation about the Snyder Cut were misinterpreted. I'm very much a supporter of the Snyder Cut and of directors getting to... to not have their their vision, their original film messed with in post by studios. But we can't forget the fact that sometimes directors just make bad movies. Sure. And sometimes you're just not going to like a movie. Like, like there, like there is no like Spielberg cut of Indiana Jones four. We got it. And it sucks. You know, like yeah. that, like yeah. there, there isn't like a streaming service that's going to fix that movie. It, but if, if there is a case where it can, sure. I just think we need to make sure that like we don't use that hashtag is an umbrella to fix and get a, another shot at every movie we don't like. Yeah, I mean, I, I think uh, and I agree with you, I, I, but I also think that there it, it, like Jake was saying, it's, it's, it's case to case. You know, there there's there's every movie has its own story. I, I do believe, in my opinion, that David Ayer deserves to, to release his cut. I actually always felt really bad that his vision wasn't. Um, wasn't shown and I, it's so weird to me because I did that junket for Suicide Squad and I I just didn't know any of the drama did he like, do it know, did, I, did David do the junket oh yeah what was his was what was his demeanor what was his he was great he I mean was. like if you, if you go to YouTube um just type in Suicide Squad Kevin McCarthy I mean like you'll see them but like Jared Leto was amazing Will Smith was amazing Margot Robbie was amazing like, that was an amazing do you think he's torn about it though because like the movie didn't it didn't it make a billion dollars it made a lot of money, but I also feel like I, I, now looking back, I want to go back and watch my David Ayer interview now because I want to see if I can get a sense of uh, in the way he talks of whether or not he seems unhappy with his product. I mean, Sean, you were there. Did you get a sense that day that it, that it was a that he was unhappy with his finished movie? No. And this is why I, I think that this stands apart from what happened with Snyder is that David Ayer came out and backed that cut. He he put his name on oh, it. Wow. He promoted it. Um, and and with Zach, he never did. He but, Zach has claimed he's never even seen theatrical, you know, and and is and would, would refuse to acknowledge. But David Ayer played the game enough to me. It's, it's a compromise of vision, but he still agreed to put the cut out there and promote it. So now David Ayer at that point, I would argue, had not made a film of that magnitude. Um, and I think no. it and again, I'm and there's I'm not defending David Ayer and, and, you know, in regards to promoting his film. But I think in in, in the in the air cut setting, I yeah. believe that he does. If he has a finished version without that horrendous enchantress dancing garbage, that was Terrible. the end of that film. Terrible. If he has his own cut of that. Why? I mean, and, and it sounds like he said it's easy to complete. We'll put it on HBO Max. It's a Warner Brothers property. It makes perfect sense. Now, the slippery slope starts when you when you have movies that didn't have public problems or problems that we knew about that are now wanting to change like Rise of Skywalker, like Jake said. I mean, we know there was problems in that movie, but just general problems. There was a film before it that was very divisive. You know, Carrie Fisher was not able to shoot that movie. So, you know, sure. there's. Those things are understandable that fed into what that movie became. I don't believe Abrams would ever even try to acknowledge a different cut of the film. It's his movie. He made it in Snyder's particular situation. That is just obvious. I mean, they brought another filmmaker in. it's not his style. Let him release the movie he wanted to make. He's been building a trilogy since Man of Steel, BVS. Let him finish it. You yeah. know, let, let's see his version of the movie. Sure. Air, I would argue, is the same, is the same thing. Air... I saw someone tweet this today, actually. I don't I think it was Rob Liefeld 
who said, when I watched Suicide Squad, it it didn't look like or feel like a David Ayer movie. Hundred um, percent. It, it's the same reason why I think uh, Aladdin, directed by Guy Ritchie, does not feel like a Guy Ritchie movie. It feels like a studio film yeah. that Guy Ritchie just happened to direct. Yes, yeah. like, like Kevin like, Smith doing Cop Out. Right, and so when you're watching mm-hmm. something like Suicide Squad, you can actually see the grittiness and the detail that Ayer was putting into it. Shot 35 millimeter film. It looks incredibly gorgeous. But then you have them redo that stupid Enchantress ending, which was I still to this day don't understand how they didn't come up with a storyline to save Batman. Like that would have been the coolest plot ever. I can't remember. It was it Jake or somebody. We were having this discussion that the plot of Suicide Squad could have easily been the Suicide Squad saving Batman in right. that tower. Why were they saving Viola Davis? Oh, I mean, I that was know. like what a ridiculously weird plot development that movie was but at the same time i liked leto's joker and i know people were against it but i think that leto put a lot of work into it that we have not seen could you imagine if leto's performance is brilliant in air's cut i mean imagine what we haven't seen i mean the trailers alone and i know trailers can be misleading but i think that air deserves his cut now that slippery slope is it is it is hard because you start manipulating things based on fandom. Sean, this is the question I'll ask you. Uh, I was reading today about Snyder Cut, and th- this is going to be a different realized version of what Snyder was going to do. So this wouldn't have been the Justice League he would have put out right. two years ago. Um, so it's not the cut. We're, it's not we're not getting Snyder's cut of Justice League right formally. Mm-hmm. We are getting a new version of what Justice League would be through his eyes uh, right. or what he tried to do. So I guess my point there, and I saw someone tweet about this. At what point does that then become fan service where if is, is Snyder manipulating his work based on what's happened with the events in the two years? How do you not of how do you avoid that? And then at the same time, I don't know. So is the Snyder cut really going to be Snyder's cut of Justice League or is it going to be a new realized? Do you know what I mean? Well, and for this reason alone, too, he'll be a different person. He's a different person three years later um, who is telling a different story that's more relevant to who he is now and what time we're in now. Um, But he still has old footage to play with, though. Yeah, that's the thing. He can't change it drastically because he's not going to reshoot. He's not going to be able to reshoot that much. I heard um, there's no reshoots. I heard the are, is that true? These are conflicting reports. I've heard that they are. I've heard one story say that the cast that's coming back is only going to be able to provide their voice for um, to get laid over CGI animatronics uh, to fill in scenes that aren't finished. OK, then I've heard uh, as recently as today, AT&T and HBO saying that they're willing to give that they're giving him more than 30 million dollars. Uh, to beef it up to become uh, a larger version of what he like almost a not a Game of Thrones type thing, but a longer series, uh, which would allow him to explore other characters with all of them beef it up. Uh, well, that's what I don't know that I, I'm not quite sure. So then Zach tweeted a picture of Harry Lennox, who Harry Lennox was in Man of Steel and, and BVS. He was a general Swanwick and, and he's going to become Martian Manhunter. Uh, Snyder has made that clear. Um, he put uh, a Harry Lennox picture and just said, like, Harry's so awesome. And I mean, everyone sort of glommed onto that tweet and was like, oh, my God, they're working together. He's reshooting stuff with him now kind of thing. But you'd have to get Ezra Miller back. I think Ray Fisher would come back. Um, but you're talking heavy CGI for a character like um, Cyborg. 
I don't know about Affleck. And also, like, um, Affleck would have to get jacked. I remember how jacked he was as wait, Batman? Yes. Like, he would have to go through that whole process again. Well, you Sean, can do that is it with weird the that... suit, though. A little bit. That's true. Do that with the suit. A little. Look at Shazam. Is it weird that Gal Gadot hasn't said anything about the, the news? <sighs> yeah, it's not normal. It's not. It is a little bit strange that as of right now, she's one of the few. Ezra hasn't said anything either, but Ezra Miller is in a weird PR spot right now. Um, based on that bad video that came out um, that showed him in an unquestioning, unquestionable, no, uh, questionable in a questionable situation. Um, he's been relatively silent. But Gal, I don't know why, because she, she supported did the Snyder Cut hashtag in she, November. She did uh, very much so. And she's still in the DC, you know, playbook like she's got Wonder Woman 1984 coming out. So th- I'm, I'm curious about that. Sean, let me ask you this. So Jake and I interviewed Henry Cavill for The Witcher. Yeah. At that point, did Cavill know this was going to happen? Yes. Yes. So you think because, he was completely BSing us? Yes, 100%. Because the, the Hollywood Reporter story said that uh, uh, Toby Emmerich of Warner Brothers contacted Zach the day after the November 17th trending event and said, uh, I can't ignore this anymore. Like this drum beats too loud and we have to come to the table and figure out how to do something. And you guys got Henry for Witcher in February, December. January or December. Oh, December. December. OK, yeah. so, yeah, I'm sure that Henry had heard from Zach by that point and said, be, be ready. We're going to do something. So. But his answer was so. And again, I understand that, you know, it's funny. I even said in the interview to Henry, I said, you know, this question's coming. Like he starts yeah. like laughing. Like, he, they, they, I'm sure he knew. But I guess I guess my point would be, I mean, he's blatantly lying then, because yes. I feel like that's crazy. I mean, like, I mean, Ewan McGregor did that for years when people I mean, he Ewan McGregor admitted to knowing about the Obi-Wan series for forever and basically said, like, he, he copped out. He said, like, yeah, I've been like, if, if you've interviewed me in the past few years and asked me about the Obi-Wan series and I have feigned like ignorance, I've straight up been lying to you. So also, if you're Cavill, then why not just why not just simply say, you know, I support the movement. I'm excited about the fans rising up. I don't know if the cut will ever happen. Hopefully it will. Okay, like, like, okay, let me put a lot of people were against if you, him. If you had like drama going on, like at your Fox station with like on air people, whatever, someone leaving, someone going, whatever the case may be. And like someone came up to you on the street and was asking you about that. Wouldn't wouldn't you just straight up be like, yeah, I don't really know. I don't know anything about it. Like, like I, you have to keep in mind, like at the end of the day, like Cavill doesn't know us. It's like he's not lying to Kevin McCarthy. He's basically just not giving out information he shouldn't be giving out in the same way that if sometimes if people ask me about stuff at work, I sort of just go like, yeah, I don't really know. I don't know. But he was pretty specific about saying that he didn't know anything about it. A little bit. Yeah. But Kevin, he also said to you he was more interested in telling the story where they left it after Man of Steel. Yeah. So maybe he's heard something from HBO Max that said, hey, if this works, um, why don't you keep telling Superman stories over here? Because these streaming services are going to need content. We have to get a Man of Steel, too. Yeah, exactly. God, but well, it might not have to. It might not have to go to theaters. It might be able to go to HBO Max. If in Snyder, a, way that a Netflix original type thing. It, it, so, wait, so at this point, Sean, I know we're moving on, but at this point, we don't know if Snyder's Justice League is going to be a movie or a series. Correct. It sounded sure. like a like the, the Hollywood Reporter article said that one of the things that the Warner Brothers executives that they movie. were excited about um, was this idea of 40 minute episodes and each one lead, leading off on a cliffhanger so that you were excited for the next. And they would do maybe one per week. 
Um, and otherwise, it would have to be a four-hour movie. And honestly, I think I would rather the episodes than a four-hour than, four than sit down movie. for a four-hour movie. I'd watch a four-hour movie because you're going to watch four episodes back-to-back anyway. So like, like my, Not if they my only point. put them out one per week. I, I have now subscribed to the idea that I, I am moving away from the Netflix model, and I like... I'm like, I'm watching Defending Jacob right now. Like, I like the one episode per week model. Like, I, I, I like the the last dance and the leaving off in the cliffhanger and, and waiting for like, I miss that. And, now, see, and, and I'm excited for that. This becomes interesting because based on what Jake is saying, this becomes a business or a story decision. And I think from a business standpoint, you do it week to week to create momentum. And you I th- do I it. I think there could be a good story told over over six chapters. Well, <sighs> his cut was 214 minutes, which is three hours and 30 something minutes. And that's before he goes back to do reshoots. I right. think if he goes back and takes a look at what he has and what he's able to film in the next year, that will be the creative decision that will tell him how is the best way to put it forward. And he's going to make that decision. What so do we'll you want, Sean? I want a series. I would I would like a series because I think a series would allow him time to breathe with these characters that he's oh. thought about for a long time and he would get more character development. There's a lot of characters who we haven't even met. Like there's flash related characters. There's cyborg related characters. There's a lot of side parts that haven't even been part of the thing. And I don't want him to have to sacrifice those. Well, we get the R. I hope he goes R rated. I mean, like I would imagine he will, because I'll never forget talking to Zach for bvs and i remember they gave me a double slot that day and i was so excited because i'd just seen bvs the night before and one of the things he talked about very giddily because you know how he he's like a geek he's like the greatest like fun guy to talk to about filmmaking and i'll never forget him lighting up like a light bulb when he could when he could do the warehouse scene with blood spraying out of people and i'm like this is the movie this guy wanted to make obviously he's constrained to a pg-13 um but at that point i feel like his J- Justice League could be R-rated. All he has to do is mess with some digital blood. I mean, there's something to be said about watching a Batman fight with real blood in it. Like, yeah. there's something about the groundedness of it, which, you know, I love Nolan's Dark Knight, but that movie is PG-13 and doesn't have a lot of blood, so it, it doesn't feel as brutal as BVS at times in, in regards to the fighting. But The latest campaign to come up after that, in addition to release the air cut and release the Snyder Cut uh, on Memorial Day, if anybody was paying attention... On Monday, they got Make Solo 2 happen, uh, start to trend. Lord knows why. I have no idea why. Because um, it was the anniversary of when the movie came out. Oh, is that what it was? Oh, mm-hmm. I isn't, guess that would make sense. Okay. Isn't Solo 2 and Oxymoron? Why is that? Because it's two <laughs> solo isn't twice. It? So you're not, um, I'm, I'm not doing a pun. I'm, I'm, I'm being serious. It's an, it's an Oxymoron. It's a sequel. It's, I mean, like we no. were joking beforehand, they're not going to call it Duo. <laughs> Or duets or some such. Um, Jake, you'd be cool with further adventures of those characters, wouldn't you? Oh, 100%. I mean, I would be absolutely down for it. Um, I, I don't think it's ever going to happen. I would really Why? like... Why? Because it didn't make enough money and there wasn't enough interest. And a lot of people point to Solo as being one of the reasons that Star Wars started kind of hitting this fatigue. And kind of hitting okay. this, like, kind of, we're all being burned out. Um, you know, the, the, the thing that was interesting, I, and, and here's the deal, I, obviously, like, I'm the defender. Of, I, I like Solo. I, I, think it's a, I think it's a really fun movie. Um, but what's frustrating about not getting a second Solo or, and I think they've even shut down um, ideas of, like, a, a Disney Plus series, which I would also okay. be cool with, is that the story that they leave off on, that they hint that they're heading toward, like, oh, there's this big gangster who's got a job for us. Like, that's the story I want to see. Like, they're heading to Jabba. 
and they're doing a job for Jabba. In the middle of the job, they run into the Empire and they dump the cargo. And that's why Jabba is chasing him and is sending Boba Fett after him when we when we meet him in a new hope like that's so like that's the story i want to see i don't i wasn't really interested in kira or darth darth maul being involved because keep in mind darth maul can have no involvement with han solo whatsoever because when we meet han in episode four he doesn't believe in the force he doesn't believe that it exists so he could never meet anyone that would convince him otherwise before that Mm -hmm. so but i would love to see that interaction with Jabba, I would love to see him running from Boba Fett and maybe some early uh, interactions with Boba Fett. Obviously, we're about to get Boba Fett because of the Mandalorian, um, which means that he survived the Sarlacc pit, which is fantastic. Like that's as a Star Wars nerd, that's great. I really hope we get that shot of his hand coming out of the Sarlacc pit and pulling himself up. But that being said, <laughs> I'm getting nerdy. Um, I, I I would love to see maybe not necessarily like a solo two. Uh, but I would love to see a, a solo. Honestly, we're getting the Cassian series, the, the dude from Rogue One. I would much yeah. rather a solo series than a series about Cassian. OK, yeah, I kind of agree with that. Uh, I think that was a fun experiment. I don't think they ever really wanted to turn it into a franchise. Um, I don't think you're going to get Lando uh, Donald Glover continuously returning as Lando Calrissian. And that, all I, of it but, felt but, like a one off, didn't it? Yeah, but but I feel like he strikes me as if he loves a character enough, like like right now, he's kind of coming back and doing like some community stuff because community is in the middle of a resurgence. And they've been talking yeah. about I mean, like it really seems like they, they did that read through of the episode for charity and they got him back to do that. And they've been talking about getting everyone back for the movie. He strikes me as the type of person where if he likes it enough. He will do it. And I think he had a blast. Like, like Kevin and I both got to talk to him at the junket. He had a blast playing Lando. Like, I think of everyone in that movie, he's having the most fun. Like, yeah. I, I, I think he would absolutely return in a heartbeat. It's pretty amazing that that room was him and Phoebe Waller-Bridge. And no one wanted to talk to him. It, it's, it's, so cra- it's so crazy how time <laughs> Like, now, obviously, like, you look back. But I remember at the time, like... Like she had done Fleabag, but it really hadn't taken off in the way that it is right. now. And I remember yeah. he had just released uh, This Is America. And so like he was like even more so than Alden Ehrenreich or Ron Howard. Like he was the person at the junket that we all wanted to talk to. And I remember he ended up we found out he was paired with someone and we were like, oh, God, like he's paired. And we, we all really just want to talk to him. And now, honestly, like he probably dominates 90 percent of my interview. And I'd be lying sure. if I said, like, I didn't like I, I navigated a lot of questions toward him. And now, like, I'm kicking myself because I'm like, I was in the presence of Phoebe Waller Bridge and did not give her the time and respect. Well, she deserved. she was the voice of a droid. So right. even that's like she was the voice of a droid to and, and to. hadn't really done anything that was like within the realm of pop culture yet yeah um but talk about a, a blown missed opportunity that's the only time i've yeah. ever interviewed her and i it's funny like all but ignored her and she's such a brilliant writer and it's so funny like you said that because yeah there was like going into that room like as a from a news perspective clearly talking to uh you know him was like the number one thing to do and talk about that particular video that came out but i i do wish i had a little more retrospective to think about like because phoebe waller bridge is one of the most talented writers. I can't wait to see what she added to um, No Time to Die. I think yeah. she's awesome. So, oh um, right, yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah she, I guarantee yeah. You, whatever she added, I guarantee you she made that movie better. Yeah. Did you yeah, watch, Sean, Sean? Have you watched? Um, uh, I feel like this is a Kevin question. So, President Obama last year released like his favorite TV shows oh, of yeah. the year, right? Right. And on that list is <laughs> Fleabag. Okay. Yeah. And if you watch, have you seen it, Sean? 
Uh, the first Michelle episode. and I got through Michelle and I are halfway through the first season, and it's just not holding our interest. Oh, I I loved it. I thought th- I think it's genius. But yeah, in yeah. the first episode, how do I phrase this, phrase this without us like being? Well, censored? I know. Yeah, she has yeah. a she has she, a fantasy. She has a sexual fantasy about President about Obama. Obama. Right, so right, like, right, if right. you're watching a TV show and yeah. the main character is having a sexual fantasy about <laughs> you. Yeah. What is that? Because I, I, I imagine maybe he was watching it with, with Michelle Obama. Like, what was I would love. I could, you could never <laughs> ask the, the, the former president about that. But I would love to know what that moment was like. Right, knowing right, right. knowing Obama's personality from like interviews and just obviously all the time we spent with him from a visual standpoint on television. I guarantee you he would have laughed yeah. so hard. And I think, yeah, I think, yeah. I'd like to think How Michelle Obama think would have laughed. Cool. Yeah. There's, yeah. yeah. Oh, I think so. Sure. Of course. Did you ever meet him, Jake? Never. I God, I'd love to. Sean, did you? No, no, no. Did you do something with him at the I, Kennedy I, Center or something? I never. I, my story with him is is crazy. Um, I don't know if I ever told. I'll, I'll keep it brief. But I was basically going to um, Andrews Air Force Base here in the in the D.C. area uh, for to do a stunt plane uh thing for a radio show that i was working on the junkies and they wanted me to go up in a stunt plane and like get video of me flipping around obviously they want me to probably vomit and you know it's radio shtick right you know like you know radio bits so i go i i i'm working a sales job at the time at cbs radio and i am making 28 grand a year i'm a sales assistant to my boss and i'm cleaning his fish tanks on a daily basis and interviewing <laughs> interviewing Angelina Jolie on Saturday and then come back to work Monday to get him salads. Um, it was really weird. Uh, so I go, I, I, I take off for lunch to go to this Andrews Air Force Base thing. To go ride in a stump plane. What's up? To go to ride go- in a stump plane. I think that's hilarious. Well, I told I told him what I was doing. I told him that I was going to do this stunt plane bit for the junkies, but I would be back within a reasonable time to do my job because my boss was cool enough to let me do junkie stuff because he knew that was my passion, like to do sure. movie reviews and was talk junkies movies. part of the CBS radio? Like, yes. was it oh, on yeah. CBS it, radio? It okay. helped the station. It yeah. So. For, for people who aren't aware, I, I, I had an internship in college that led me to a radio station. I was at a radio station. I happened to find this morning show. They put me on their air. That's how I became a movie reviewer in that regard. I then got hired by the company to be a sales assistant so I could be in the building and do movie reviews, but also have an income that gave me health insurance. So Wait, my I also boss want to was, stop and just pause for a second that this was WJFK in Washington, D.C., and I have to believe that for a little while I did some stuff on Don and Mike's show in the afternoon, and I want yeah. to think that maybe Kevin and I were in the building at the same time. And never That's knew it. Crazy, isn't That's, that bizarre? I love really, stuff like I love like sliding doors, <laughs> weird stuff like yeah, that. I that love really that. strange. Ten eight hundred Main Street. That was like that was where I worked. Yes. I worked right. So my boss That's was understandable. Nuts. So basically, what it was is like he's like, yeah, you 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 can go, but just come back at a reasonable time. Basically, if you can get my work done in your work day, I'll let you go do this. So I'm at Andrews Air Force Base, and I'm I, I'm getting all geared up. I'm in I'm in the stunt plane, and they bring me out to the track. Have I ever told you guys this story? No, mm-hmm. never. Okay. Oh, sorry. You know if you've heard never it. No, it's a great story. I love it. Um, and I'm on the runway and the pilot gets a call and they were like, we need you to return to the hangar. And I'm like, Oh God, now I'm going to be like late to getting back to my boss. So I'm like, who the heck is flying that we have, that we can't, that we can't, um, you know, do our stunt plane bits. So we go back to the hangar and I go to the guy. I'm like, can I ask you what's going on? He goes, the president's about to take off, so we have to clear the runway, and then there's a person that has to go out to the runway and pick up any type of debris on the runway that could be sucked into 
the engine somehow. Like, you know, it's really? very particular. Oh, yeah. They, right. they clear that entire runway, at least when I was there, just for him to take off. Wow. So I'm sitting there and I call my boss and I'm like, I'm going to be late. Uh, I'm really sorry. And he's like, it's fine. Just make sure you get it done when you get back or whatever. So I'm like, can we can we watch the president take off? And they're like, sure. Mm. I'm like, you guys are here. Well, by the way, I never actually ended up doing the stunt plane thing because the whole thing took forever. They bring us over to this area called the Distinguished Visitors Lounge. And I'll never forget it. There was military outside waiting in a line to somehow meet the president if he got off Marine One to come over and say hi. So I'm in this like distinguished visitors lounge. I do not belong. I mean, I'm pimply faced like movie reviewer kid from a radio show. And they're like, do you want to come outside and watch? They walk us out to the closest we can get to the area where they're going <laughs> to land. And Air Force One is right in front of my face. It's it's insane in person to see it. They have like the staircase down, ready for him to walk up. So Marine One, for people who don't, people don't know how Marine One works. It's three helicopters and the president's always in one of them. They never tell you which one he's in. That way there's right. no, there's, a, so yeah. you see these I saw Gerard Butler's movie. I know how it works. <laughs> right. <laughs> so the three helicopters come in, first two land, Obama doesn't get off. And then third one lands. And of course it's, it's President Obama. And this was it was just so surreal. Like he comes off the plane with this guy who's his whole job, not his whole job, but he's gotten to a point in his military career where his job is to walk the president from Marine One to Air Force One. That's like his gig. He walks him and, t- and talks with him over he's to Air Jordan's Force One. Jordan's Gus. It's awesome. <laughs> I think the guy's name was like Steve. I can't remember his name. Steve. Um, Steve Madden. All right. Uh, so anyway, so uh, they do this. He lands. He comes off. And he looks over and there's a group of military people in uniform. And I'm like, there's no way he's not going to come over here. So he waves, walks over, and I'll never forget it. He shook every single person's hand down the line, including mine. And the AP photo is actually my Adidas jacket with my <laughs> hand out without my face in it. It's an orange and brown jacket shaking Obama's hand. President you Obama's have that hand. photo? I have to find it. I have a, I have a whole video of can the entire see, thing. That's great. Can you see great. you? Can't aside. see me. It's no, not your just, hand. It's just my arm. So I'll never. So that's that was, I mean, that's really all it was. I shook his hand. I said thank you so. He, and you know, oh, this was actually kind of cool. Here's how in tune President Obama was. Every time he shook someone's hand, that was a military member, and it probably was 20, 25 people. Thank you for your service. Thank you for your service. When he got to people who clearly weren't in military uniforms, it could have been simple for him to mess up and just say thank you for your service. He didn't say it. It was like right. he was completely in tune with what was happening. Like right, that would have right. been an easy like, thank you for your service. Thank you for your service. Thank you for your service. And he was just like stopped and like shook my hand and then moved to the next person. Yeah. And I'll just remember. That, that, that never... shows a, like a level of sincerity. Like like it, like he wasn't just saying it just yes. to say it. Like he was saying yeah, yeah, it yeah. to the people that he needed right. to say it to. But that, I'll just never forget that day. And then basically I got to watch him walk up the stairs and watch the plane take off. And it was one of the coolest experiences I've ever had. And I, I, the only time I've ever spent in presence of President Obama. Actually, no, the, the second time was at the White House when he gave Steven Spielberg the Presidential Medal of Freedom. And I Absolutely. jumped across. Yeah, yeah. I almost. Yeah, <laughs> got a really good one. Yeah, anyway, sorry. Right, that was anyway. a total derail. Sorry. I love that that scenario is someone that Kevin really wants to talk to and President Obama. <laughs> I like when you we don't t- have an interview. We get to go off on tangents. <laughs> By the way, that, this way. The, the day in the White House with Obama, I still have a big regret. You know who was there that day? Katherine Johnson, who 
Taraji P. Henson played oh, yeah. in Hidden Figures. Hidden Figures. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And Spielberg was on that stage, Barbara Streisand, Willie Mays, all these amazing people. And I wish I would have talked to Katherine Johnson now that I know. I didn't know who she was because yeah. Hidden Figures wasn't, didn't come out yet. Yeah. So. She was hidden from you Uh, this week in movies um, or streaming. Anyway, Uncut Gems is back on Netflix and we have raved plenty about the Safties uh, and Adam Sandler's performance in that criminally underrated. Jake got to sit with him at the Critics' Choice Awards and uh, make fun of all of the nominees that were going through that evening. I still love that story. Makes me laugh that. uh, Sandler was so bent out of shape that best actor was the first category. And then he had to sit which apparently the yeah, the it, was, it was because uh, I guess like Joaquin Phoenix had to go like he only could. And be that was the, the table show. I was at. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And so I guess like the idea was, look, we know Joaquin's going to win. So and he's only willing to show up and accept the award if he can like get in and get out. Right. Um, and so that's why because like normally they would never lead off with best actor. And I remember sitting there at the table with Adam Sandler and the Safties. And they and the first the first award of the evening is best actor in a drama. And and then Adam Sandler goes, already? And I, I think he kind of wanted like I don't think he thought he was going to win, but I at least thought he like wanted to enjoy the night without being a loser the entire time. Yeah. yeah. Um, but uh, so it was just sort of like a yeah, it was it was it was an interesting like uh, like, OK, this is how like like. Hey, you know, I think he was kind of disappointed a little bit. And not only did we bend our award show to have Best Actor go first uh, for Joaquin Phoenix's schedule, but we all ate vegan food that evening because he wanted that on the menu, and they only had did, enough to feed did we, though? half of the or did we Or did we just wait so we could go to In-N-Out afterwards? <laughs> yes, that's Guys, exactly I, what we did. I think Joaquin Phoenix <laughs> might have changed me. Um, last night, Lauren and I uh, made burgers on the grill, and I cooked a beef burger and a Beyond burger. And I took one bite of the beef burger and I was disgusted by it. <laughs> Dude, like, I had I had an impossible burger the other day and it was with vegan cheese. Awesome. It was pretty good. I because because Amanda because because Amanda's a vegetarian, which pretty much makes me a vegetarian. <laughs> What's that from? Pulp Fiction. Yeah, yeah which, Pulp is Fiction. That, that's is that Jimmy? Ju- Jules. Did Jimmy say that? My girlfriend oh, said that. My girlfriend's a vegetarian, which pretty much makes me a vegetarian. By the way, uh, I know this is totally detracting, but do you think Pitt really, or uh, Jules, he calls himself Pitt in that scene. Do you think he really had a girlfriend or do you think he was just saying that? I think he has a girlfriend. I think he does too. We've had this conversation. Yes. All right. I want to go to, uh, what is the other one? Space Force. Jake saw Space Force on Netflix uh, or is coming to Netflix on May 29th, Friday. Uh, This is the new Steve Carell. uh, What's the showrunner's name? Greg Greg Daniels. Greg Greg Daniels. Daniels. Um, Yeah. Responsible for the office, uh, collaborating again. I, I mean, the cast is solid. Malcolm, yeah, it's, it's, it's a really solid and, cast. Uh, uh, ben Schwartz, friend of the show. Uh, yeah, yeah. Really, really disappointed by the show. Um, watched the first. It's a, it's a ten episode first season. I watched the first five, which honestly, like, I have access to the rest of the season, and five is how many I gave it before I just went, yeah, I'm done. Um, oh. Liked the pilot quite a bit. I think I even texted you guys, like, hey, watch the pilot. Like, really, really happy with it. Um, and then it just really took a downhill slope for me. I love Carell as an actor, but I think he is overacting to all hell. Like it just like, you know, when you can see someone acting like mm-hmm. I felt like I could see and he's doing this voice that doesn't sound natural. Like it sounds like Steve Carell is doing a voice, mm-hmm. um, which really kind of threw me off. Um, it, it just I didn't find it like it's a weird mix where like 
It wants to be a satire because it's clearly making fun of things that are going on in the news right now, like with the development yeah. of this new branch of the military. And in fact, it was also kind of weird at the junket because I would bring that up to them and like no one wanted to talk about it. Like it got shut down. It's just like, well, then what kind of show are you making? It felt like a political satire, but they didn't really want to take it all the way. And then obviously, like, it's not The Office because it's like it's a it's kind of R rated. Um, like the, like Steve Carell, like you drops F-bombs and stuff. So it's clearly, you know, it's mm-hmm. clearly not that style or that show. I just didn't find it to be particularly funny. I didn't like there are moments of humanity where I felt like, oh, that's nice. But they usually they were few and far between. Uh, it would be maybe the last 15 seconds of an episode where I would go like, oh, like despite everything, that's a nice moment. Um, but okay. it wasn't enough to make me like, look, if the first season's got to hook you, it, it would genuinely take season two and three coming out and people just swearing by it because you can make the argument that the first six episodes of the office are not good. In fact, they're word for word remakes of the British office and they had to branch out before they found themselves. It it, was, so I always tell people get through the first season and then, and then the office finds itself. Someone would need to tell me that space force did that in order for me to revisit it. But with the talent involved for it to not be what it should be, it was, it's a massive disappointment for me. One thing I'll say about Space Force um, is it is it's shot like a film. Um, uh, and again, and it, it's funny because I agree with Jake. I, I've, I've only seen a few of the episodes and I, I, I found it to be hit or miss. Like there are some great scenes in the show. There are some scenes that just fall flat. There's a moment that Jake and I have been texting about that we both disagreed with um, from an animal standpoint that we found to be a little disruptive from a, uh, an emotional standpoint. But one thing I will give this show is the scale of it. It is huge. It's a it, it feels like you're watching a fully produced movie but just happens to be a show on Netflix um, it's gorgeously shot I mean there's uh, and this is gonna super minimal but there's a great moment uh, in the show where like like a lot of walking and running takes place in the show so much so because the building that they're in is so big so Greg Daniels does a really good job of kind of creating what that running and walking would be like for everybody walking around all day and the way he follows Malkovich in the show is so funny to me like watching Malkovich just walk quickly through places and his little feet walk. I don't know it's just really funny not little feet I don't know why I said little feet I'm thinking about Hobbit <laughs> his normal sized feet <laughs> yeah I don't know I don't even know why the word little was even part of that I was not, but it's so not funny. an Aaron Sorkin type walking thing no he plays with like like, I guess I, the reason why I said little feet is because you actually you actually cut down to these like shots of his feet walking. And it's just I don't know. I thought it was really edited in a weird in an interesting way. One thing I will say, though, there's a really great bit on the show that they have not. That I don't think they're going to explain. It's very funny. Um, ben Schwartz's character's first name is the F word. That's his actual first name. OK, so they call him F Tony on the show. Say, like, I, wait, I thought it was a nickname. It, like I, I thought it was just a thing that people because because no because he when he introduces himself to the, the 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 first lady's PR person, he says what his actual name is. I think they just call okay, well, him that because they all hate him. Okay, then I'll clarify. They call him F Tony on the show, and he actually okay. answers to it. I mean, it's it's a recurring bit in the show that okay. Greg Daniels said, or I think Ben Schwartz said, they weren't ever going to explain why they call him F Tony. Um, and I remember inter- I interviewed Greg Daniels for it, and he said the reason we came up with it was because when I was when we were doing the show, I think the Fire Festival documentaries were out, and there was a guy on there, F Jerry, was okay. like a big deal of that. So that's how they came up with it. But apparently it means nothing. And I will tell you this. It made me laugh every single time someone randomly just called him. I will say Ben Schwartz is probably (laughs) the funniest person on the show. And so is Malkovich. Malkovich is really good. Malkovich is good, but he's like the straight guy. And it's his it's his straight reactions to sometimes other people being not so funny that that 
He um, does that though. He also, does that. Fred Will- Fred Willard's in it too, and I know I th- I want to say it's Fred yeah. Willard's last. It's his, performance. It is his last performance. I talked to Greg Dan- Greg Daniels about that. It's and he's actually really good in it. Like it, um, there's there's this really heartwarming element to the show that I think is interesting, and this is the last thing I'll say about it. It's a show, I guess, like Jake was saying about like The Office, where you have people who come across as not great individuals, or they say things that aren't great. But at the end of the day, there's still these human beings who go home to their families. And in Space Force, what I found interesting was that Steve Carell's character is juggling this brand new branch of the military that he's been brought in to handle. And he's not really doing a great job. He doesn't seem like he's really understanding the material. But then they have these cut scenes where they cut back to him, like taking care of his parents or doing math homework with his daughter when he gets home after juggling this whole day. And I found those to be very sweet reminders, I thought, about the importance of family versus work. Um, and they're they're dropped in in a way that really hit me in a different way than I've seen those themes played with in shows. I don't think Space Force, again, I have not watched all 10, so I can't officially review it. But there, there are things in there that I think are worthy of watching. It's just the whole thing's not great. From, How far did from, you get? I only got through three episodes, so I, I, I'm only three episodes into it. So this is just based on those three episodes. But I think the show has some promise to it. I don't think it's all bad. Um, I think that there's some great stuff in there. It's just it's not a home run. Unfortunately. All right. Also coming to VOD on the 29th. Uh, Kev, keep it short because we're going to get to the blend game is the high note. Uh, Dakota Johnson. What's this even about? So the time I met President Obama. All right. So let me go run through that. moment. No, uh, no, the high note's really good. It's I'm actually very like, inter- wait, how the hell are those two connected? <laughs> this is joking. I was just because I ran on a whole rant. I'm sure Gabe was probably like, no, dude, you're going too long. Sorry. Um, uh, no, I am sorry for real. Cause I, he has to edit all this. Um, so the high note is actually very well done. I was is actually it? very happy with it. Yeah, um, there's there's a. There's a there's an element that happens in the film later on that Lauren and I did not like um, that put a little weird taste in our mouths in regards to what happened with the character or the storyline. That being said, everything leading up to that little twist moment and then everything after it, I thought was extremely well done. Uh, I think the songs are really well done. I think Tracy Ellis Ross does a great job. Dakota Johnson's excellent in it. Like, it's a great performance from her. I, and what I love about her is she is. She's like us. She loves like film and, 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 and practical things. She works a lot on film as an actor. I don't think this film was shot on film, but it, it, it's a it's a fun movie that just made me happy. I don't know. I just enjoyed it. But again, it goes back to that discussion that we keep having about whether or not these films are hitting us differently because they're at home. And I find that to be a very interesting discussion. Um, the High Note was a fun, relaxing film to watch on my couch the other night. Uh, would I have wanted to go into D.C. for an hour drive there and back to watch it? I don't know. But at the end of the day, that's just the situation we're in. So I can only base it on what I saw. And I liked it. So what's its story? It's going to VOD. Is it one of the is it a three day rental or an ownership or who's behind it? I don't even know. Uh, Focus Features is behind it. I okay. don't know about the ownership. I would imagine I, I think what happens is with the standard state of VOD, a movie like that, which is brand new to VOD, I think will be will be a rental. Now, Scoob, I thought was a different story because they just moved it. Was yeah. High Note supposed to come out in theaters? I think so. Yes. OK, so then. So. I don't know if Focus is going to... So Univer- Actually, no, we do know the answer to this. What do Universal Pictures do for... Um, they do rentals, the hunt, right? Invisible Man and Trolls. Trolls. Oh, 48 they, Hour Rentals. 48 Hour Rentals. Yeah. All right, I want to go to Dakota Johnson just for a second. She was in... So you're giving her praise for this movie here. She was in a movie called The Friend um, with Jason Siegel uh, that was at Toronto that got incredible reviews. 
Uh, Pe- Peanut Butter Falcon before that. Bad oh. Times at the El Royale before that. I love that. Her Bad Times at the El Royale. Um, Suspiria before that. Um, so, you know, and a, a Bigger Splash, which she was really good in that film, too. You know, she gets a little bit of flack for being the Fifty Shades of Grey girl, but I am going to argue she's done a hell of a lot to branch out she, of that she's pulled the pigeonhole. Uh, yeah, yeah, essentially, essentially. Sean, and, I guarantee you, if you and Michelle watched the high note, you yeah. would text me afterwards and go, that was great. No kidding. Like, I, I think Dakota Johnson's performance in that film is is just probably one of the best things she's done. Like she's and I I, I don't know. I find her to be a really interesting person. I, I, I um I don't know if you guys saw when I interviewed her for the peanut butter Falcon, but she she had like a life changing alteration in the way she wanted to approach life because of that movie. Really? Like she, like she even says it in the interview. She goes, I used to be a really cold person, a really um, hard person. I'm not, I'm paraphrasing her, but she Mm -hmm. said, I used to be a super cold person. And then I made the peanut butter Falcon and it changed my perspective on life completely. And I don't think that was BS for the film because then when I spoke to her for this high note movie, she is, she, she's always been like really lovely and nice to me. But she's gotten a lot more open about herself and what and, and, and just her because remember when you're someone like that and you come out in fifty shades, you're under this extreme microscope. You're naked on a big screen. I mean it's it's not, not I'm not I'm not saying she didn't sign up for it. Sure. But that's a really weird thing to think about. You're an actor, your first major explosive role is this hardcore sexual R-rated SM movie where mm-hmm. you're naked. And I would imagine that when she went into press for that, she was probably a little apprehensive to talk mm-hmm. about things like that. I mean, naturally. And I think I've just found her to be I, I think she's a really good actor. And I think she genuinely will be a great actress if she continues to work with great people. She is obsessed with 35 millimeter film vinyl. She's a really old soul, in my opinion. I think she's really mm-hmm. into that stuff. And I think she has a great great acting ability and i think you know her dad is what don johnson her mom's melanie griffith she comes from a Mm -hmm. line of acting um so i I have nothing but nice things to say about her but her her performance in this film i wish this was kind of getting a theatrical release because it is a big scope concert type of film and she's great in it i just hope it doesn't get buried i hope she finds some light at the end of the tunnel uh, as an actor with this movie cool if uh, anything got a theatrical release at this point now i'm a little bit (laughs) i'm ready to get back into the theaters um before we get to theaters uh we want to point out that there is something called we are one a global film festival that is also going to launch on may 29th it's going to feature over 100 films uh but in addition we're pointing it out because it's going to feature talks from some truly amazing filmmakers francis ford coppola uh, Steven Soderbergh, Bong Joon-ho, Claire Denis, uh, several more of them are going to be participating as part of this We Are One Global Film Festival. It is going to be available at youtube.com uh, backslash We Are One. Again, that begins on May 29th, so be sure to check that out. Uh, in addition to another great actress um, not named Dakota Johnson, we have what the hell was that? <laughs> What was that? Someone sent me a video of a dog. I thought I could watch it in silence. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, Jake, are we boring you? You know what that moment was like? Memes? Have you ever been in like a restaurant and see someone try to take a picture of somebody and then their flash goes off and it obviously... Yes. That's what that moment was. Kevin, yeah, do you want to know when it happened? When I was sitting with Kevin at a bar in Toronto, and he tried to sneakily take a photo of Nicolas Cage, and it lit up the entire bar with the flash. That's when I saw it happen, and I, I've never, like, sunk more into a chair 
But then you guys got your pictures with him. So Nick Cage looks over at me, which sounds like a crazy (laughs) sentence to say. I'm sorry. Can I say that one more time? Yes. Nick Cage looks over at me. So so Jake and I are at a bar. Uh, This bar in Toronto is the best bar you can go into during during tips. Yeah, just while we were sitting there, who else did we see? Michael B. Jordan walked by. And so... Um, Nick Cage is just sitting there talking to I want, I want to give her credit because she's awesome Jen Yamato um, oh, I, who I think is a, a great great journalist um, she was interviewing him for uh, whatever movie he was there to promote that night I think it was from the director of Mandy actually he had that midnight midnight yeah. film that year that he was up there I forget yeah oh, the color <laughs> and, of something yeah and so Jake and I are sitting there and you know we both interviewed Nicolas Cage but it's still Nicolas Cage I mean for me it's Caster Troy remember I'm he was like, wearing oh, the cowboy hat god yeah it was unbelievable and and so I look over and I'm like, I got to send a photo to Lauren. So I whip out my phone and do like the sneaky, like I'm taking oh, a picture, like I'm, like I'm calling someone. And the flash. In, I mean, oh, human language. But the flash just <laughs> cut that out, Gabe. Uh, but the, fla- the flash, uh, uh, it's fine. The flash just goes way off and it's completely obvious. Like the whole room essentially stopped. It was like, it was literally like slow motion. He looks at me like <laughs> and then, and then and I, just, I just like slide down into my seat. <laughs> and I felt so bad because I was like, oh my god, I'm that guy. Yeah, uh, I am that guy. And so weirdly enough, I go over to the publicist who is sitting there waiting for the interview to end and I was like, listen, you know, my friend Jake and I were huge fans of his work. We do not want to go up to him and interrupt him or bother him or make it weird. Do you care if we ask him for a picture afterwards? She's like, no problem. Yeah. And then boom, she introduced she was, us. It was really cool. She was like, hey, like, catch yeah. him on the way. But dude, you're, you're forgetting the best part is that as we approached him, he looked at us and goes like, I know you guys. It yeah. was the, it was the, oh, that's right. Like, we, we didn't say like, hey, we do like, then we were like, well, yeah, because we do junkets and stuff. But he recognized us first there yeah it's pretty cool my, my, one of my favorite moments ever was when i interviewed him for the croods and he held my con air and rock ticket and he goes that was the golden age of my career i've told Aww. that before but like i'll ne- i always felt like kind of makes me sad yeah <laughs> i was like dude you for you were the 90s man he was the 90s the name so of the movie he was promoting up there was called color out of space if anybody wants to check it out so uh it apparently got reviews for for being pretty wild um he's he's in the nicholas cage wild stage uh with movies like mandy and color you could out say he's getting a bit exotic right oh <sighs> yeah he's getting me it certainly is getting a bit joe exotic kevin good job nice job well played uh natalie portman blend so um we are naming our favorite films by Natalie Portman. I will go first, and I'm going to venture that I'm not going to be alone when I tell you guys that my choice is Black Swan. Black Swan is, uh, first off, a genius film uh, by Darren Aronofsky. Uh, it explores a lot of the things that I find that he finds very interesting, um, which is people who are really good at something uh, and struggling to come to terms with how to continue doing it, whether it be uh, Mickey Rourke in The Wrestler or, again, Natalie Portman for Black Swan. And what I found most fascinating is it's it's tremendous casting because, and I don't know Natalie Portman from a hole in the wall, but I think that the character that she plays in Black Swan is probably the closest to what I assume she is as a person. She's extremely, extremely talented, um, like this dancer is in Black Swan. Um, I, I view her as a bit of a perfectionist, whether I think that's fair or not. Um, I think that she takes on certain projects that challenge her uh, in different ways. But I think she also would get very cons- consumed by the need to be as great at something uh, as she physically can be. And 
um, that comes through in her work and the types of projects that she chooses. And of course, all the things that she does off screen, too. Um, but then, of course, with Aronofsky at the helm, it gets into the horror element of what that dedication can do to a person psychologically. And um, when they see an up and coming challenger potentially uh, trying to take her spot in the company, uh, how that's going to tear uh, tear her down. And I think Natalie Portman's done some amazing work over the years but that will be for for her right now the the um, the signature role that where I think she just everything that she can bring to a part uh, congealed into that performance and it was um, the the physical performance to to get to the acting uh, to get to the the ballet aspect of it and the grind of putting yourself through that physical horror uh, but also being able to sell all the psychological confidence but also self-doubt that was so necessary to black swan um i mean listen you turn yourself over to aronofsky jennifer lawrence did it for mother uh obviously everybody who was in requiem for dream did an amazing job the hugh jackman and the fountain how amazing he is aronofsky does amazing work with with director uh with uh actors but um but black swan to me is not only my favorite natalie portman film and performance uh but i would argue her best as well too so that's my choice anyone else go with black swan anyone else I no thought one? about it, but I, I it was actually my knee jerk reaction. And then uh, whenever I, I remember the, the movie that I'm going to go with. But no, like I, it would well, probably be a very close second. For then me. tell us now what you went with instead. Quick question before I reveal mine. And I feel like you, you guys would know this. Isn't she the movie star that they reference in Social Network? I, like when, like oh. in the court case where they're saying like, oh, it was the home of like two poet laureates and a Nobel Prize winner and an Olympian and a movie star. And the lawyer says, like, who's the movie star? And the guy goes, like, does not matter? Isn't uh, she the movie star? Is she? Re- well, Gabe is I, saying I, yes with yeah. a big thumbs up. So, yeah. yes. Yeah. Cool. Um, I went with funny. V for Vendetta. Oh, wow. Uh, really? Uh, okay. Yeah. I went with V for Vendetta because I feel like, one, she, she has, that, that's such an interesting film that is so out there, but also so incredibly grounded in a weird, like, I, I hate to say how grounded it is, but it's, it's this, horrible like government dystopia that isn't beyond the realm of possibility and she is kind of like our emotional anchor in that movie like she is kind of us like we like she is sort of like she is you know in 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 a much better way but she is sort of kind of what ellen page was inception like she is getting information in the so that we get information but the, the way that she does it is in such a way and she makes such a both a physical and emotional transformation i mean aside from the fact like it's easy to point out the fact like oh she shaved her head but that's such a like a um, oversimplifying who she is as a person, like the character mm-hmm. and the person that she is at the beginning of the movie is completely different. And I completely buy it like 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 she is like almost just beaten down physically and emotionally and then reborn as this great warrior. It's easy to see to look at that movie and say like, oh, yeah, like you and Hugo Weaving as V is great. And like like his his line delivery but I feel like that is the more fun, flashy role. But I feel like what Natalie Portman has is like like the gravitas. Like she has the meat. She has the weight. And she is what, to me, gives that movie the heart. Um, I love that movie so much. It's a movie that I think, I hate to say, but like gets better because it gets only more relevant. Um, I think it's, it's a truly fantastic, one of the great political films of all time. And, and it is made better because of her being us not as a cinematic tool, but just to kind of help move things along. And I, I think she's in her performance. I think it's, it's as good as the movie is. But I, I almost went with Black Swan. And to Jake's point, what's interesting about what he said, 
I got a fly on my keyboard um, is that that character could easily be exposition. Right. Like, like and, and it's I think what Jake is explaining, which I think is very interesting, is that she plays it in a very non exposition way. Mm-hmm. Um, like she's playing with exposition. Like, like it's, a, it's a great point about Ellen Page, because that did come across as a little exposition at mm-hmm. times in Inception. Like, um, like DiCaprio is literally explaining things to her so that we <laughs> overhear it. I think arguably the greatest exposition cover up of all time has to be the helicopter scene in um, Chernobyl, the HBO series where Jared Harris is explaining the technical science to Skarsgård. And it's done in a way where Skarsgård's like, can you explain to me what's going on in this area? A completely natural question that would occur on the way to that scene. And we just benefit from that. Right. Mm -hmm. We are going, what the hell's going on too? And I feel like if you can get that combination of exposition where you can actually teach your audience in a way where you're not making them feel stupid or not understanding it, that's, I think that's what you're trying to say about with Beaver Vendetta. I thought it was a, it's a very interesting point that I never thought of before. Kevin, you went with the uh, the professional Leon, the professional. Ooh, uh, oh, I love when we do three different movies. I was going to go with attack the clones, but I just this one was oh. uh, a little. No, I'm just kidding. I don't blame. Um, what a, the what profession- a waste of a talent that was in that trilogy. Anyway, I'm sorry. Continue. Yeah. I love the professional. No, it's okay. No, no. The professional is it's arguably one of the greatest movies ever made. Uh, it's still to this day. I think Gary Oldman, my favorite performance of his career next to true romance, uh, just specifically because of the everyone moment on uh, true romance. I think Drexel will always be my favorite character he's played, but I think that the performance he does in the professional is amazing. There's a scene in the professional that I think solidifies why I picked this movie. And it's not just because of her performance. It's my favorite. And also I think the best thing she's ever done as an actor, but there's a moment when her family is murdered and she goes to the door of, you know, Leon and tries to get in and she's just begging him to open the door after her entire family is basically being brutally murdered by Gary Oldman's team. And I just found that to be such a, she, she plays that desperate vulnerability in that scene so realistically that she's going to a stranger's house for help after her entire family's been murdered. And then the arc of her character essentially being that she starts to train with him. Right. And I just found that arc to be so fascinating because this is going to sound strange. There was never, there was almost like a romantic element between them, but not in a, in a weird way. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Like they, sure. they like, like almost like not romantic. I guess romantic is the wrong word. It's almost like daughter father, but there was a mutual respect and love between the characters. I thought, and I always found the character, like I always found their relationship to be very interesting. I, I guess what I'm trying to say is it just felt like there was a genuine bond there, not in an intimate way, in a weird way. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying that I found their relationship to be really fascinating. Uh, Leon and, and Natalie Portman's character. And I just found there. That's why she works so well in that film is her arc really builds up. She learns to train with him. And what I loved about her character is the curiosity that she had for what he was doing and wanting to try the things that he was doing, but him being like a father figure and saying, no, you're too young for this. And then allowing her to be an adult. I guess what I was really trying to say was, I think her character grew up at that moment when her parents were killed. I think she instantly had to become an adult at that moment. And I think by the time she enters Leon's room, she's still a kid, but I think she's grown up 
exponentially beyond where she was prior to that door opening. So I think the, the, the element I'm referring to about their relationship was they were almost on mutual ground in a weird way, even though she was a kid. And I felt that there was this beautiful mutual respect between the two. And I think that's what makes the movie so strong, to be 100% honest. I don't know if you guys agree with me or disagree with me about their relationship specifically. Romantic's probably the, not well, the no, right it's word. Kinda, it's kind of like you know, that's her taxi driver. It's sort of like Jodie Foster and De Niro yes. and Taxi Driver. Like it's, it's Thank a, you. It's a caring, sort of like enveloping, like protective. Love. Yeah. Love. Yeah, no, you're, that's a great, thank you. That's a great, great example. The... De Niro and Jodie Foster relationship is exactly what I'm referring to here. I think he genuinely loved and cared for that person. I think there was a there was an element there that you know they loved each other. But I think that's why it works so well. So, anyways, I think The Professional is a brilliant film, oh, truly three, amazing. Three great picks. Three and great picks. If you haven't seen Leon, the actual international version of that film, that's the one I would watch. That's the better version of the film. It's longer. I don't know um, if I've seen. That was so, the yeah, one I've seen. Anybody seeking out the professional, make sure it's called Leon the professional when you get it. Oh, not just I, the then I've seen that. Yeah, then I've seen yeah. it. I have ne- seen neither of them. I've <gasps> never seen the professional. I've never oh, seen it. Oh, wow. Dude. This is my, this is my uh, confession time. Wait, I, I'd never but saw you've the, seen the saw. famous everyone line. Well, right? yeah. yeah, yeah. Okay. Every, oh, we I have to do yes, Gary Oldman blend. Wait till you see oh, the sure. everyone line in context. I'm pretty sure I've seen the long clip. Um, I'm pretty sure I saw the long clip about building up to it, but... Oh. But, but no, I've never. What, I don't know why. I don't know why I've never seen that film. I so mean, good. I just know that I, I, everyone loves it. But I'll tell you this, Sean. I don't think you're going to be a fan of how it, how the murder stuff goes down. It's pretty nasty. Like as a parent, like watching Oldman's right. team go in there and take out young kids. Right, right. It's horrifying. Okay, and well, yeah. I, I will put it on the list. Great um, movie, though. Audience picks. Ray Perkins says uh, Annihilation. Boy, we I didn't love even... Annihilation. I mean, her career is unbelievable. Uh, Gabby Cam says Closer, also a really great film. Scott McClellan and many, many others, of course, Black Swan. Yes. Great pick. Mike Nichols, underrated, incredible film. She's amazing. This this was a lot harder than I thought. Whenever we announced it last week, I sort of went like, okay, Black Swan, like done. Closer. This was a lot harder than I thought. Yeah. Oh, my God. If you haven't seen Closer, anybody listening, watch it. That it's movie really was. Um, I, I remember where I saw I saw it at Fairfax Corner in Fairfax, Virginia. I'll, I'll never forget. Seeing it's that an for the first angry time. movie. Yeah. They, they are. Those those actors tear into each other in yeah. Closer, but in a really great way. Uh, <laughs> Louise and many others also went with V for Vendetta. OK, so much participation this week. Thanks, everybody, for playing along next week. You guys will be able to reach out on Twitter using hashtag plot twist blend so a note for people uh let's see let us know your pick via email gabe is saying just mention the film with the twist and keep the twists vague to keep spoilers for uh, and fellow listeners who uh keep spoilers from fellow listeners who might want to watch it for the very first time so first you're time going reading? to name the yeah gabe name the movie in, but don't give the twist name the movie but don't give the twist right exactly can right. i ask a question um and this might be like an off-air question why not call it just twist blend versus plot twist blend gabe thoughts call it twist blend sure i don't care whatever <laughs> that's the twist is that Gabe speaks at the end of the episode (laughs) Gabe the only reason I said that was the first time Sean said plot twist blend I actually thought it was different than what twist blend would be because it had the word plot before it I think twist might I don't know I don't and this is an off-air discussion 
We'll go. We'll go. Twist. It's twist. It's officially twist. But now twist I want to go plot, plot in front twist of blend. plot. If you go with plot <laughs> twist blend, I won't know what to look for. I won't find it. There you go. Twist blend. Hashtag twist blend. So uh, bring us your favorite <laughs> Chubby Checker references <laughs> in the latest films. All right. Uh, so uh, reviews. We're just hitting that threshold where we're about to go off the rails. This yeah. is the podcast for all things movies uh, by Phil Six O Three. And he writes, this, po- <laughs> this, this podcast is filmtastic. Keep up the great work, gentlemen. <laughs> That's the whole review. <laughs> I love it. I love it. I'm down. Thank you. Thank you, Phil603. We love it. Uh, okay, so thank you very much, everybody who uh, sent us reviews, who played along in the blend game this week, and who continue to support us on a regular basis. Uh, shirts. We have an update. Our real blend at the movies T-shirts should start shipping this week. And when they arrive, as a reminder, we want you guys to take pictures of yourself wearing your Real Blend merch and send it to uh, send it to the email and I'll get it posted to the social media accounts as long as that's okay with you guys. If you don't want your picture posted to the Real Blend social media account, obviously don't send it to us or send it to us and just say, hey, this is just for the guys and um, and don't put my stuff out there. But tag us if you want to put it up yourself on Twitter and Instagram. Uh, wherever you are, show us your awesome new shirt and proof of the good cause that you guys helped support the money that we raised for the Will Rogers Pioneers Foundation, um, which goes to movie theater employees. I feel like we're getting closer and closer to being back in movie theaters. And maybe that's just me being optimistic. Um, but as we head into June, the more Memorial Day, God, God, it's it's kind of dumbfounding that by this stage of the game, we're usually pretty deep into a summer movie season. Like right? we like we're probably a year ago. I think right now we were all in London for Rocketman. Yes. Do you want to hear something correct. even more mind blowing? What's that? Twenty five days ago, Black Widow came out. Or what? In, in, in an alternate universe. Yeah. <sighs> See, well, I mean. Okay, so, so crazy. What, what would we be leaving for on a junket right now? What would we be leaving for? Like maybe I don't Wonder, know, Woman. Would, Wonder Woman oh, would have been early yes. June. Would have been early June. We would have been going someplace for that. So let's pray for a return to normalcy uh, when our Lord and Savior, Christopher Nolan, uh, restores uh, order and faith. Uh, and so with that in mind, let's close this episode as we have closed 119 episodes prior to this by shouting in unison. All Dunkirk. I have for you is a word. Oh. <laughs> yes. I feel like Tenet. I ruined them all. <laughs> uh, I was trying to do a Tenet I joke. I Tenet is better than the way we just ended that show. <laughs> I was trying to do no a Tenet, tenet joke. So we were on three different wavelengths. Uh, no, it just hasn't happened yet. It's gonna. Oh. It's gonna. It's coming up soon. Inversion. Wait, so we haven't said Dunkirk yet, so let's do it again. All right. It hasn't in, happened yet. Inversion... Okay. Three, two, one. Kirk Dunn. Uh, Jesus. How would you say? All right, I'm done. <laughs> wait. How would you say Dunkirk backwards? <laughs> Bye, everyone. Wait. See you next week. See yeah. Dunkirk. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.